discover the possibilities of internal medicine. Welcome back to NYACP's Physician Spotlight Podcast. My name is Peter Bandari. With us here is Dr. Pochapin. Dr. Pochapin received his medical degree from Cornell University Medical College. He then completed his internal medicine residency and chief residency at New York Presbyterian Wild Cornell Medical Center. He subsequently completed a gastroenterology fellowship at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine Montefiore Medical Center. Presently, Dr. Pochapin is the Division Director of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at NYU Langone Health. He is also a professor of gastroenterology at NYU Grossman School of Medicine, as well as the Vice Chair for Clinical Affairs in the Department of Internal Medicine. He is a fellow of the American College of Physicians and the American College of Gastroenterology. In fact, he was the past ACG president. Dr. Pochapin, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you, Peter, and it's a pleasure to speak to you. I look at our students and all our trainees as the future of healthcare and our future leaders. Thank you. So the first question I think everyone has is, you know, what really inspired you to pursue gastroenterology? No, it's interesting because I loved internal medicine. I knew medicine was my calling. I love the interactions with the patients. I love the puzzles that patients presented clinically. Um, and I really had a tough time picking a specialty. And truthfully, Growing up, no one would have ever believed that gastroenterology would be my calling because odors and things like that were not things that I gravitated towards, for sure. I think what it was is when I got my hands on an endoscope, I saw that you could literally peer into the marvels of the human body, and it really captivated me. And then I recognized that gastroenterology really has something for everybody. The GI tract is so diverse that no matter what your interests are, there's something for you. And I also like the GI personality. And what I mean by that is the people who are in the field seem to have a real nice sense of humor. I think you have to have a sense of humor to deal with some of the things that we do. So all of that together um, made me pursue GI and I just absolutely love it as a profession. Absolutely, thank you so much for sharing your motivation and your path to gastroenterology. You know, in your field, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you face on a daily basis? I think it's um, the same for every field, actually. It's really focusing on preventative health. The American psyche of healthcare right now is you go to a doctor when you're sick. Truthfully, we really need to go to a doctor when we're well. And that's why internal medicine is such a, an important core and recognizing how much we can prevent by addressing things that are simple, looking at blood sugar and blood pressure. In my world, making sure people get screened for colon cancer with colonoscopy or fecal immunochemical testing and knowing family history. So the challenge one is focus on preventative health. Two is access to healthcare, access and trying to eliminate the disparities we see. But we see it in colon cancer screening. We see it in the way we have disparities in mortality and incidence in black Americans and why our screening needs to improve, particularly in areas that are underserved. And finally, getting not only access, but getting people to be able to afford healthcare. So it's prevention, it's getting rid of disparities and allowing everyone to afford healthcare. Going, you know, going off of what you were saying in terms of surveillance, you know, there has been an alarming rise in colorectal cancer in a younger population, specifically 30s and 40s. Why do you think we are seeing this, this rise? Peter, it's a great question. And the simple answer is we don't know. I have dedicated a good 20 plus years of my career towards trying to improve screening and really bring down the death rates, particularly the incidence rates, which is really unprecedented in cancer to be able to bring down both incidence and mortality, which we've been doing for 50 and over. And then when we break it down, we see that actually it's really 65 and over who are getting the biggest benefit 
And we think a lot of that is from screening, but also from decreased smoking and also improved overall uh, health and nutrition. From 50 to 65, we're beginning to see a leveling off. We had seen a really nice drop and we're beginning to see a leveling off. And what's alarming is we're seeing this uptick of three, four, five or more times the increase of incidence in younger adults. Even in the 20s and 30s, we're seeing an increase. Now, just so people don't get alarmed, it's nowhere near the amount that we see in older adults, but we're seeing increase. So there's some hypotheses. One, maybe it's antibiotics and change in the microbiome. Maybe it's our diet that's very high in fats, potentially in, um, in uh, meat products. Uh, red meat we know is a catalyst to increase colorectal cancer, but we really don't know. And we need people, particularly young enthusiastic people to start studying what some of these epidemiologic factors could be. Just to follow up on that, you know, since we did mention an increase in, in colorectal cancer in younger patients, I was wondering if you could speak about the recent guidelines. I know, you know, the American Cancer Society, you know, a couple of years ago decreased the, the age at which they recommended adults with average risk should start getting screened. And I was wondering if you could talk about what the current guidelines are in terms of colorectal screening and, and do you see any changes um, in the future for the field of gastroenterology? Well, it's interesting about guidelines because guidelines are not only recommendations, but they become the backbone of laws. They become the backbone of what insurance companies will cover. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it comes down to the United States Preventative Services Task Force, because that is a group of experts getting together who don't live in any one specialty. In fact, they don't even have to be part of medicine. They look at the data independently. And most recently, the United States Preventative Services Task Force put out a, um, a perspective of what they think the new guidelines may be. And they may, they actually recommended a grade A for screening 50 and over and a grade B for screening 45 and over. And grade A and grade B are actually covered by Medicare. And usually things, once they're covered by Medicare, usually all other insurance insurers follow the Medicare and the federal uh, uh, mandates. So there are many different guidelines. It's interesting because as former president of the American College of Gastroenterology, I was very proud that the ACG, when they looked at the disparities in screening and in death rates and incidents for black Americans, we actually recommended age 45 for black Americans. The American Cancer Society put 45 for everybody. And now the United States Preventive Services Task Force is looking at age 45. The issue again is access and making sure that what we have available in terms of colonoscopy and fit testing which are the two tier one in the multi-society guidelines. So I actually think it's moving towards 45. Um, we'll see what the United States Preventive Services Task Force ultimately comes out with its final recommendation. That was just a draft. But the most important thing is whatever we decide on, we have to make sure people have access to. I think educating patients on surveillance and the importance of, of catching colorectal cancer, specifically you know, early on, is very important. Peter, could I just add one other thing to that? Sure. In addition to people knowing about screening, they also have to also know about nutrition, diet, because nutrition and diet, um, diets that are rich in, in red meat and alcohol could actually increase the risk. Asking about family history, really important because screening that we talked about was average risk. People with family histories are at increased risk. They may need to start at age 40. They may need to get genetic testing. They may need to even start earlier, 10 years younger than the first person in the family who had cancer. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. I did come across advances in screening modalities. Specifically, I was reading up about a multi-center study looking at non-invasive breath tests 
-hmm. to detect advanced adenomas and colorectal cancer. How do you foresee this impacting the field of gastroenterology, especially since um, a good portion of, of, of what you do is involved around actually physically visualizing these pathologies? It's such a great question because I think that any means of screening less invasively will improve the overall health of the population, will prevent colorectal cancer, and is good for everybody. In terms of our field, you, know, you bring up something that's actually a passion of mine, and that is what are some of the new modalities and technologies that can be used? You know, dogs can sniff out cancer, colon cancer in particular. They've done studies where dogs had about a 94% accuracy. If you took five stool samples and one of them had cancer, they could accurately determine which one of those stool samples was actually containing cancer. They're smelling something. You know, dogs, if I say, if anything's going to save the world, it's going to be dogs. <laughs> they are the most amazing in what they can do by smelling not only um, things that help protect us in an airport, but also perhaps utilizing that same ability to, to detect. So there must be some volatile substance that's, a, that's giving some type of odor that we should be able to figure out how a machine can pick up. So I actually think breath tests make a lot of sense for that. And that would be wonderful for the profession because the only way we're ever gonna get the polyp and find the polyp and remove it is still through a colonoscopy. So this is not um, technology that's gonna get in the way of what we do. It's gonna enhance what we do, allow us to get the patients with the polyps and remove them before they ever get to be cancer. So I think it's wonderful. We should look at all different modalities. And there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. Great. That's, that's, uh, that's really good to hear. You did mention that this was a passion of yours. What are some other things in medicine that you're passionate about? Well, I think using AI, I think this is going to be something that's going to help us all in what we do, whether it's going to help us make a diagnosis or in the world of endoscopy. In my world, it's not going to do anything for us, but it's going to say, hey, look over here. Is this something you need to pay attention to? You know, when you drive your car, it's kind of nice to have the car tell you, hey, you may be going too far to the left or right, get back in the center of the road. In a way, I think AI is gonna augment what we do. I think also augmented reality is really cool. We might be able to take all the imaging we have and project it over a patient, whether it's a surgical field or an endoscopic field. And I also think our minimally invasive techniques, we might be doing surgery where we go in the mouth, go into the stomach, open the stomach and access the abdominal cavity and do surgery, incisionless surgery endoscopically. So there's some incredible new technologies that I feel really excited about that I am exploring with others to see how we can move the needle. So many medical students, you know, including myself, are interested in this field. So I'm going to fast forward all of us to day one of intern year. What recommendations or advice would you have to us when we're, you know, starting this journey? You know, I think we're always so nervous. We all feel so unprepared, particularly as an intern. It is one of the scariest things to becoming, quote, a real doctor. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I actually look to other leaders and I like to use quotes sometimes to recognize how we're all feeling. And when Captain Sully landed the jet on the Hudson River, when they asked him, how did you do it? How could you possibly land a jet and not lose a single life? He said, I've been training my entire life for this very moment. I think that holds so true. If you think about what you go through to the point where you can be an intern, You've been preparing your entire life. You are ready. And to have confidence in what you know and also confidence in asking questions of what you don't know. None of us know everything. Nobody knows everything. Any doctor is not expected to know everything. Even myself, if I don't know something, I ask a colleague, I ask for help. So that is the only mistake you can do is not to ask for help. 
recognize all that you've learned, how far you've come and be excited for the journey. Don't look at it as a destination. It will be good when, when I finish my residency. It'll be good when I get my first job. It's great right now. Think of all the amazing things that you're learning, how exciting that is and enjoy the process. It's the journey that's fun. I had so much fun in my internship and residency. I think back at the times that were tough, but I also think back at the times of the colleagues that I've met, people who we create bonds with that are forever. It's really a very special time and don't be afraid to ask for help. We're all here to help you. Dr. Pochapin, I was wondering if you could tell me, you know, any advice that you have for medical students? I think we have to recognize that there's so many wonderful people in the profession who wanna help. And as a student, you're always afraid to reach out and you think that your question might sound stupid or that you might be embarrassing yourself, but actually just the opposite. In fact, I like to say there are only two outcomes to any endeavor. There's success and there's learning. The only time we fail is when we either stop learning or stop trying. So don't be afraid, reach out to people who inspire you and recognize that whatever you do is part of your journey, is part of your experience. It's what makes you better. We're always learning, I'm still learning. And the only reason that I have a different vantage point than I did when I was a student is just the years I've had with experience. It's called practice for a reason. Nobody has it perfect. We do this together. I love when students, particularly students, reach out and have a question or wanna meet with me or have a passion for something that they wanna explore. Don't be afraid to reach out to the people who inspire you. Don't be afraid to reach out to people who you think might actually help you along your journey. You know, Peter, for example, you're reaching out to me for this interview is a great example. I was thrilled to hear that you wanted to interview me. So glad to hear that perhaps something that we did actually inspired you. And if that can help to inspire others, that's what we do. We help each other. There are people in my career who helped me people who inspired me, and we all want to give back. So don't be afraid to ask anybody for help along the way, because in essence, we've been given the same help, and it's just a matter of giving back to something we've already had in our careers. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can say I was definitely excited to, to be able to interview you. Um, when I was writing the email, I was, I was very happy to, to see the response that you gave. So thank you so much for, for really giving us an insight on how to pursue the career. And, you know, it was really refreshing to hear how supportive uh, you are towards, towards the interns and in general medical students as well. So thank you for that. I did have a question in regards to how does your typical day look like? Sure. So Peter, I have a academic practice. What that means is I'm still a clinician at heart and about 50% of my time is seeing patients. And this afternoon, actually I'll be doing procedures all afternoon. And then tomorrow morning, I'll be seeing patients in my office all morning. But this morning, for example, I had a division meeting. I'm chief of our division. And we talked about wonderful accomplishments of people to try and make sure that people recognize that despite everything, that there's so much being done in a positive light and there's so much progress still being made. I then had a meeting with the Department of Medicine. I also hold a um, role as Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs for a department. And that's exciting because um, as Department of Medicine, we're collaborating together. We're trying to break down the silos of different divisions and really look at disease entities as patient focused. And that was an exciting meeting. I actually run a um, radio show on Sirius XM called Dr. Radio. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to communicate to the public on a national level, something I really enjoy doing, again, focusing on information they can use for health and wellness. And probably the best thing that I do is I get to inspire young talent like yourself. I get to uh, give you 
the opportunity for you to achieve your best. And there's nothing more really exciting than being able to look at someone and feel like you're a part of their success because their success is all of our success. It's the success of our profession. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can definitely speak for myself when I say I've been inspired seeing everything you've been doing. But thank you so much for telling us about the different avenues and, and options that you have, even within uh, your particular specialty. So Dr. Pochapin, as my final question, could you talk about your involvement with the American College of Physicians? Yes, actually, I'm a fellow of the ACP. I think that internal medicine is the core of everything we do in any subspecialty, that it all comes back to being an internist and recognizing that the body is interconnected. Um, we certainly see that within gastroenterology. We have the largest lymphoid organ in the body. We have the biochemistry of the liver. We have all the oncology of all the cancers that can develop. We have the microbiota and all the infectious diseases. And so if you're not based in internal medicine and you don't look at the body as a whole, you're actually not gonna be able to care for the patient in the best possible way. So I think internal medicine is the key it's important that we stay close with our internists. As I mentioned, that prevention is so important. Prevention really stems with the fundamentals of internal medicine, keeping people healthy and well so they can live healthy lives and really achieve their best. So um, for those of you thinking about why medicine is important, I think the American College of Physicians really represents the best of our profession and people like yourself who are involved really get to see a bigger and broader view of medicine by meeting with other people. The you know, medicine, it's all about, um, it's a big family. We're mm -hmm. colleagues and we're all in this together. And I'm so proud to be a physician. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the American College of Physicians um, is an amazing platform, not only just to network with, with fellow physicians, but also to showcase your research and, and the new work that you're doing and, and just learn about advances in modern medicine. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been a great pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you, Peter. And good luck to you and to everybody listening. Remember, there's no profession greater than medicine. There's just none. Every day I wake up trying to make someone's life better. Is there any better way to dedicate yourself to a profession or to a career than making somebody else's life better? It literally changes the world and you all will do the same. Trust me.